Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up. Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs. Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. Instacart for the win. Hello, this is World Business Report from the BBC World Service, where we bring you the latest in money, marketing, manufacturing, and yes, much, much more. Please review us, rate us, share us wherever you can. BBC Podcasts are supported by advertising. This week on the podcast Spark and Fire, theatre director Felix Barrett. The idea of theatrical danger, it's a safe space to be frightened. Felix shares the story of creating the immersive theatrical experience Sleep No More. Whether they enjoy it or not, you certainly feel alive. On Spark and Fire, creators share their stories to fuel your creativity. Spark and Fire is a Wait What original in partnership with the BBC. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and namaste. I'm Devina Gupta and this is World Business Report from the BBC World Service. Coming up on the show, early morning chaos at U.S. airports with major flight disruptions. We get you the full story in just a moment. Also on the show, one of the world's biggest banks, Goldman Sachs, is now laying off thousands of people. Is this the start of a bigger shakeup for the industry this year? And... For my business, it affects everything. It affects my import uh, bills. It affects my uh, loans. So the cost of capital is very high. The cost of debt is uh, extremely high. Egypt's pound falls to a fresh low against the dollar. We find out what it means for businesses and exports for the country. And that's all on the show coming up for you. But our top story, it was a difficult morning for thousands of air passengers across the U.S., There was severe disruption with all domestic flights grounded for several hours due to a computer glitch at the Federal Aviation Authority or FAA. Now, the problem began when a system which alerts pilots to potential hazards on flight routes failed early on Wednesday morning. And that affected thousands of passengers, including Chris, who was meant to be travelling on an early morning flight from Ronald Reagan Washington National Airport. Well, I've never experienced this, where they have a nationwide outage. I've never seen that. We didn't know until we were all in the gate area getting ready to board. And it was about 20 minutes before boarding for a 5 a.m. flight. And then they said, you know, they kind of gave us a weird, they said we're at a delay because of, quote, government movement. I'd never heard that before. Uh, And then they gave us an update about uh, 20 minutes after that. So, you know, around 5 a.m. or 5.15, where they said uh, we are on an indefinite delay and we'll give you more information when we know it. We've been just waiting since then. Is the airlines able to help you in any sort of way while you're waiting? They've been very, very good. Um, Like I said, when the system first went down, they started rebooking people's flights, and they were very professional and helpful. But then as soon as it became apparent that nothing was moving, they just said, there's nothing more we can do, and they just give us updates every little while. I think the system mainly affects takeoffs, so... Flights that were already in the air, I think, obviously, they have to land eventually. 
Well, the Transportation Secretary of the US, Pete Buttigieg, has said that uh, he will get to discover the root cause of this morning's air traffic problems. But we now have Barry Valentine, a senior advisor at the Wix Group, which is a law firm that gives legal assistance to aviation-related business. Barry has also held several senior positions, including that at the FAA, which is the US Federal Aviation Administration, at the heart of today's computer glitch. So, Barry... Has it ever happened before? What exactly went wrong today, according to you? Um, I don't know that it's ever happened before. And um, the fact that uh, news people on all of the stations, television, radio, first had to start their broadcast by trying, explaining what the system is, so that suggests that uh, no one's uh, had this experience before. Um, and as you uh, said in your news, it's a, it's a system that provides information to um, pilots uh, about anything en route or at their destination airport that would be of interest from a, an operational point of view or a safety point of view. And that information today is pretty much transmitted digitally. There was a time years ago when it was all done by telephone and teletype and that sort of thing, but it's now digital. So when a system goes down, it, it sounds like it goes down across the entire network. Well, a lot of people have been saying it's abundance of caution, which was uh, needed uh, just to ensure flight safety. But now as the airports get back, um, there are many airports that where uh, departing delays have been reported about 90 minutes. Several airlines, including the United, is saying that they're issuing travel waiver to allow those impacted by the ground to uh, have flexibility to change their travel plans. So this seems... Uh, it will take a lot of time and also a lot of money. What kind of business impact do you see on airlines? And is there an estimate that you would have about the impact and fallout of today's glitch? Um, I don't have an, an economic uh, prediction as to what that part of the impact would be. Um, you know, unfortunately, this is something that happened first thing in the morning when you have airplanes departing virtually every commercial service airport in the country. So because it happened at that time, um, it has a domino effect throughout the whole day in terms of getting everything back on schedule and in the line. Had it happened late in the day or in the evening, it would have obviously have had much less of an impact. But, uh, um, you know, this is something that will, just like the recent uh, delays one of the airlines experienced, but uh, we'll this, get sorted out and back on and get back online. But Barry, uh, does this also make FAA liable for any kind of financial claims from the airlines? Well, I, I don't know where that will all go. In the past, there have you know, historically been issues with air traffic and management systems that have gone down and, and then failed. And I, I don't know that there's ever been a financial impact on, on the FAA or DOT because of that. Um, right at the moment, it's not mm. known why this system failed. That's one of the questions that obviously everybody's um, wanting and to have an answer to. Absolutely. I mean, Barry, but this is the last thing that uh, airlines need because we've seen that there was a large scale aviation disruption over the Christmas holiday because of the storms that brought unseasonably cold temperature in many parts of the U.S. Uh, what kind of fallout do you see on the aviation industry in the U.S. now with these kind of uh, continued disruptions because of the weather and what we've seen today? Well, weather is one thing that none of us have any control over. It's one of the things I like to say that keeps us humble. Um, and that will always be a factor in air transportation, uh, the weather part. But hopefully they won't have you know failures in the system like the one that's just we're just experiencing today. And as I noted earlier, the fact that that everybody's trying to explain even what it is in the first place suggests that it's a system that's invisible to anybody except those who who fly airplanes. 
Um, and in the aviation business, I'd say 99.99% of the people in the country of the world have no idea what a NOTAM system yeah, is. Yeah, and so, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, it's been a difficult time to explain exactly on uh, channels. I've been also trying to figure out what exactly happened. But um, looking at, you know, the way Southwest Airlines, uh, for example, which has already be seen a financial crunch, this is not something that would uh, help at all, especially if there are customers looking for financial claims or waivers after this uh, sort of a disruption. But thanks so much, Barry, for joining us for now. Barry Valentine, Senior Advertiser, Advisor at the Wix Group, uh, was with us to explain what happened. But we're still awaiting more information on what exactly went wrong with this aviation disruption this morning. Let's go across to Russ Mould, the Investment Director at AJ Bell. And Russ, I was just talking about how airlines have been impacted. What kind of pressure have you seen on airline stocks today because of this disruption? Interestingly, not very much, Davina. The United Airlines share price is at 1.5%. American Airlines is up half percent. Southwest is down very slightly. That's probably more of a reaction to the losses that it announced yesterday because of the problems it suffered and encountered over the Christmas period owing to the bad weather. I guess the key question now is, is this a one-off? Will, as you say, there be any compensation from the FAA? And is it something a wider problem, say a cyber attack? But at the moment, it's been treated by the stock market as a one-off event in addition to many other problems, such as oil prices, the weaker economy, blizzards, bad weather and so on. But at the moment, it's been treated as a bit of a one-off and a fluke. Hmm. Could we see what's happening in FTSE 100? Five-year high. Gosh, yeah. I know. <laughs> it, it, it's, amazing. it's amazing for for an economy that's been in, in difficult, that is in difficulty for a country whose political situation has become the subject of derision uh, after four prime ministers in a year of multiple chances of the exchequer. It's amazing. But equally, we have a currency that is still way below where it was before the Brexit vote in 2016. A share market that has underperformed its global peers and underperformed can mean unloved. Unloved can mean undervalued. And we have multiple takeovers for FTSE 100 companies. A failed one for Standard Chartered, I admit, but successful mm. ones for Sky, Arm, Megit, Morrisons and others from overseas raiders. So they're looking at a cheap currency, a potentially cheap stock market. And finally, maybe investors are thinking if overseas buyers can see something, maybe we should have a look too. Uh, could we also should focus to the banking industry because uh, it's a time for a big spending review at <laughs> Goldman Sachs. Um, it's turning out to be the biggest cost cutting exercise uh, for the firm. And there's been um, about 3,200 3, mm-hmm. job cuts. Yep, job cuts, review of bonuses, review of the use of private jets, review of travel, all classic investment bicycle, banking an economic cycle. Um, I've worked for an investment bank myself. You could often see how well the bank was doing just by the quality of the biscuits in the meetings. There were, there were lots of them when things were going well and not very many of them or cheaper biscuits when things were going badly. So you can see that you've seen this before. We'll see it again. But it does tell you that stock markets have been difficult. Mergers and acquisitions activity has been quiet. There have been few new companies coming to market. And even Goldman Sachs, normally a terribly well-run bank, is having to adjust and cut its cloth accordingly. And we may see others moves from Morgan Stanley, from Citi, Bank of America, Barclays and others. But Goldman Sachs traditionally very, very smart and they're moving very, very early. Well, um, um, Russ, thank you for joining thank us. You. And this is how the cookie crumbles, I guess, um, when you're mentioning about the biscuits being served in the meetings and how it's now looking at a spending review there as well. Russ Mould, the investment director at AG Bell. But staying with the story, we have Francis Capola, who's an independent banking analyst, joining us. So, uh, Francis, Goldman Sachs, what went wrong? 
Well, they haven't been doing too well. They've um, suffered a, a, quite a fall in, in profits and so forth. So they're doing some bloodletting to um, try and uh, make themselves look a bit better. Um, so they are cutting their staff. Um, um, there is an element in this of, well, we cut staff at this time of year anyway. Um, you know, Goldman has a history of, of you know, sort of, um, doing an annual cut. Um but this is a bit more significant than that. It would appear that they're trying to show our confidence in their ability to control costs. Well, we are also talking about cut and annual bonuses as well. 3,200 seems to be 6.5% of its total global workforce. That's the extent of layoffs in Goldman Sachs this time round. Um, do you see that there would be pressure building on other banks as well in this space? Yes, quite possibly. Um, I mean, it really depends on the outlook. I, I think the economic outlook does look quite gloomy and um, investment banking particularly is quite sensitive to that because, you know, when um, businesses are looking at a gloomy outlook, they tend to batten down the hatches rather than get excited about mergers, acquisitions and IPOs and things like that. So investment banking could be facing a tough time and it, banks could respond to that by cutting their um, parts of their investment banking workforce, the areas that are most likely to be affected by that. But there is an element of how far do you go with cutting your workforce when the outlook is gloomy? Because if you go too far with that, you don't leave yourself the uh, sufficient um, room to bounce back when the outlook improves, hmm. as we hope it will towards the back end of this year. But do you see hiring back then by the end of the year? Yeah, I, I think um, if the outlook for the economy improves, yes, I would say so. I mean, we are looking at a global recession and that does tend to be quite bad news from investment banking. But there are always opportunities within that. And as you, as the as the um, it, it, the economy hits the bottom and starts to bounce back again, that's when investment banks start to get going again. So, yes, I would expect to see some hiring later on this year. Thanks, Francis, for joining us. Francis Capola with an optimistic note that hiring could be back by the end of the year. But what we've been focusing on, uh, World Business Report a lot, is how major economies around the world are seeing a big shakeup this year. There's been a warning from the International Monetary Fund that a third of the world's economy will be going in recession. So it seems like a rough start so far. And in fact, just yesterday, World Bank's Ian Jose told me that the global economy is very close in falling in recession as the impact of the Ukraine war and COVID pandemic continues to be a major hurdle. Let's take a listen. This weak growth performance puts the global economy on a razor's edge. Just one more shock could cut the outlook to a global recession. There are some uh, frontier market economies, low-income countries, they are already struggling with elevated debt. Uh, you know, they are going through a process of trying to restructure their debt. And one of those countries already struggling is Egypt. In December, inflation there rose to almost 22 percent. And this week, the government issued restrictions to rationalise public spending. In fact, just today, the Egyptian pound plunged more than 13 percent against the dollar as the nation struggles with its worst foreign currency squeeze in years. We have Salina Bill of the BBC. She's the BBC Arabic correspondent in Egypt and Middle East. Sally, thanks for joining us. Uh, could you first tell us how did the Egyptian economy get here? 
the Egyptian economy is in a very tight position at the moment and people are complaining relentlessly because of the high prices. Inflation rates have hit almost everything. Uh, Official uh, figures say that it's around 22%, but real figures can go far far higher than this number. Um, The the country has borrowed from the IMF for the fourth time Mm -hmm. in like six years. And the Egyptian pound has lost more than 50% of its value against the US dollar over the past few months. So things are getting really bad. Egyptian families, many of them are living from hand to mouth and they don't know what to expect and they are blaming the government because it's giving them no clues for the future and it it just keeps borrowing money. Sally, what we're talking about also is the funding of $3 billion from the IMF, but the conditions there are quite strict, like cutting public spending, going in for flexible exchange rates. What kind of impact do you see of that on jobs, especially in the public sector? A uh, huge impact. If you, if you talk to the people in the street, they would say uh, there are no uh, no jobs. Prices are going crazy. The IMF has stipulated a number of uh, conditions like raising or lifting uh, government subsidies for the fuel sector, um, floating the Egyptian pound, giving room to the private economy. The government and the IMF call these like uh, re- uh, reform measures, but the people here see it as austerity measures that puts on them more burdens. They don't have much hope for the future. There are high unemployment rates, inflation rates are going up, and a lot of people are struggling. And we have to say that nearly 30% of a population of more than 100 million people are literally living from hand to mouth. So for things to get worse for them would mean that they, they might starve. And this is what we've been hearing mm. from people over the past few days. Sally, thanks for joining us. Keep an eye on that story. We also take a look at how businesses are suffering and struggling to cope in these times. Medat Nafia is a former chairman of the state-owned Metallurgical Industries Holding Company. He now runs his own steel alloy business, and he told me this earlier. For my business, um, um, it affects everything. It affects my import uh, bills. Uh, it affects my uh, uh, loans. Tightening policy also, we, we, we have to, to go with tightening, as you know, because we are affected by the U.S. Uh, Fed tightening policy. We have to uh, strengthen our uh, Egyptian pound. So this tightening policy uh, reflects badly on investment. You know, um, the high interest rates are uh, the enemy of investment. You are in alloy business, Nafia, and you're importing production lines to start the production of alloy. Given that there is a foreign currency crunch, how has that impacted your investment decisions? Put me on hold for a while. We are actually uh, on hold. Uh, we received proposals from banks and now everything changed because we were dependent on subsidizing our subsidized interest rates. Uh, for industry. So now it jumped from 8% to uh, 20%, the interest rate. I'm I'm speaking about the interest rate. So the cost of capital is very high. The cost of debt is uh, extremely high. And also the cost of equity, of course, because there is also an uh, an opportunity cost for any equity uh, in this regard. So uh, it affects me hard. Hardly, and it puts me on hold until um, until uh, the gloomy and uncertainty uh, uh, climate is over. Are you also looking at making tougher decisions like job cuts in your company? 
this is something we don't uh, see it in uh, in the short term. We we will not uh, take this decision. Uh, we actually didn't uh, start production, so uh, the uh, the number of employees is not uh, too big. But uh, when we decide, if we if we take a decision to um, to terminate the project, uh, this will be imminent. You're also an exporter, so will this help you in a way that if there's a weaker Egyptian pound, you actually tend to make more money? Yes, of course, of course. If we started exporting, it will be very beneficial. The only uh, issue that uh, uh, when you have uh, two prices, one in the uh, bank and the other in the black market, it is not good because you uh, w- we are using uh, the the official price. Uh, however, uh, we are billed uh, on another price. But now, with the uh, with such uh, soft pegging, uh, I believe the black market will uh, vanish uh, uh, very short. Also, Nafia, Egypt government has committed to flexible currency in a greater role for private sector, as it got a bailout of three billion dollar financial support from the International Monetary Fund just this week. Will this open more opportunities for private businesses like yours? Yes, uh, private businesses are being uh, now uh, having some new incentives to uh, to be uh, either to work alone or to be in partnership with the state under uh, very good uh, conditions. However, uh, um, it will take time because we uh, we need to have a, a proper venue for this transitional uh, period. That was Medet Nafia, who owns a steel alloy business, joining us from Egypt. Now we have. Matthew with his uh, trademark green sweater in front of a blue mic for the latest business updates. Matt, what's your top story? Yes, well, we'll start in Germany, uh, where opposition's continued against a new coal mine. Um, well, a coal mine that's being expanded. Protesters have been occupying the site in the village of Lutzerat in the North Rhine-Westphalia region of the country. This is to do with how Germany are adapting to their energy supply crisis. The government have delayed plans to reduce the country's reliance on coal. So they're looking to you know, expand this coal mine there. Today, hundreds of police have begun clearing the protest there, clearing protesters after clashes which saw petrol bombs and stones thrown at officers. Let's uh, move further north now where Sweden is looking at nuclear power. Yeah, the country is looking at expanding its nuclear energy capacity, allowing the construction of new new power stations in more locations across the country. It's hopes it will help them boost electricity production, achieve greater energy security. Obviously, this is all to do with, once again, this continued energy crisis. The new policy also reversed a process of gradual closures of nuclear reactors with the intention of replacing them with renewable sources. Now, if Parliament approved this, it should be in place by March. And onto something we've been following, China reopening and its neighbours with over people travelling between the countries. Where are we on this? Yeah, I spoke to you earlier in the week about this. It all began with South Korea and Japan requiring Chinese arrivals to show negative COVID tests after China reopened its borders. They're, of course, concerned about rising COVID rates within China. Now they've seemingly, in response, stopped issuing short-term visas for citizens coming from South Korea and Japan. Officials in Seoul and Tokyo have said the move is deeply regrettable. And any plans for China 2023, Matt? If you get a chance, would you go? Uh, I'd risk it, I think, yes. Yeah, all right. Even me too. I'm always interested with the country. But here's where we're talking about Japan. 
Japan, where Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida is in London today. He met with his counterpart, Rishi Sunak, and they have signed a major defense agreement. It's part of Kishida's tour to meet most of G7 leaders, as he will be meeting the U.S. President Joe Biden later this week. So what's expected from this tour, including an insight into the defense agreement between Japan and the U.K.? We have Sarah Parsons, who is a senior teaching fellow in business and management in Japan at the School of Oriental and African Studies, joining us from London. This trip is um, a diplomatic trip, mainly ahead of the G7, um, but also it's a way that Kishida is trying to garner more support as well from countries, not just the US, but as we've seen from Europe, for an increase in defence spending at home. It's quite, there, there is public support in Japan for this, um, but there's concern how it's going to be financed. So that it's seen as a way of getting that support by signing major agreements with countries, especially as they've done today in the UK as well, um, that there's a real commitment to this. Could we also talk about uh, the US leg of uh, Kishida's trip? Because yes. it's the first time that he's uh, got yes. the office just last year that he will be now meeting yes. the US President Joe Biden. Now, what's yes. expected of this meeting and how important is it given uh, the US-China trade tensions? Yes. Because China will be the big elephant in the room. Yes, I know. Yeah, they are obviously going to be discussing the elephant in the room, as you've said, and also Taiwan. Trade tensions will probably, almost certainly go up. I mean, there's already an established trade war between the US and China. Japan has a very, very close economic relationship with China, and it wouldn't be in their best interest to enter into harsh trade tensions. I mean, even the, the, the trade war between Japan and Korea, which very few people know about from 2019 just showed how interrelated that those countries are in East Asia within the global supply chain. So I don't think it's in Japan's interest to to have that happen. Also, Kishida is looking at challenges back home, even yes. as he makes these tours. So he's got a big task of uh, appointing a new Bank of Japan governor. There's yeah. a question of inflation, which is highest yeah. uh, in four decades right now in the yeah. country. And do we see any indication that there could be tightening of the ultra-loose monetary policy of Japan? Well, you, you know, they've got to get that balance right between, you know, bringing down inflation, putting taxes up without crushing the economy and Japan's got huge levels of debt so they are quite vulnerable to to any tightening. Kishida seems still very committed to the loose policy. You've got you know there's this criticism that it obviously did fuel this inflate that the inflation and the big sell-off of the Japanese yen but he's still very committed and he's also committed to potentially passing some of that burden on to corporations as well. So, I mean, this is another focus within the Japanese economy of, of potentially getting corporations to take some of that social burden on. When you talk about corporations taking a bit of a burden, we also saw today that the retail giant from Japan, Uniqlo, has raised salaries by 40% of its employees to deal with the high inflation. Now, uh, do you see more and more companies following this path? <laughs> That's really interesting, actually, because Japan, um, historically, the wages have been fairly stagnant. So this was a huge increase, 40%. There's lots of reasons that, you know, companies in Japan have not passed their profit on through wage rises. A lot of Japanese companies have been accused of retaining their earnings and not putting those back into wage hikes. 
big corporate governance failings. There's a non-regular labour market that's making it difficult for wages to rise and declining workers' bargaining power. However, we've got to obviously see it also in the sense that, you know, they can afford to do this. The international leg of Uniqlo has been phenomenally successful. Do you see that this could fuel inflation further in the country? There might be a slight increase in inflation. The inflation as it is at 3.1% is still comparatively low. I think at the moment the, the focus is very much on consumer demand and the wage rise is seen only a part of that. That was Sarah Parsons joining us from the School of Oriental and African Studies. Thank you for joining us on World Business Report. Season 3 of My Indian Life, the podcast that explores the lives of young adults living in 21st century India, is available to binge in full now. It's sometimes raw. So many of our elders were denied the opportunity, even though they are deserving, just because of their caste, just because of where they come from. Often uplifting. Because of you, we didn't give up and I am not giving up. Even if one person is inspired, that is a real success for me. And always compelling. We are evicted from that place. Our land is taken away. Our forest, we are not able to access it. That's Kalki Presents My Indian Life from the BBC World Service. Just search for My Indian Life wherever you found this podcast. This week on the podcast Spark and Fire, theatre director Felix Barrett. The idea of theatrical danger, it's a safe space to be frightened. Felix shares the story of creating the immersive theatrical experience Sleep No More. Whether they enjoy it or not, you certainly feel alive. On Spark and Fire, creators share their stories to fuel your creativity. Spark and Fire is a Wait What original in partnership with the BBC. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts.